We are Squawking Dead, a podcast pulverizing episodes of the Walking Dead universe. Sometimes we give you news, sometimes we do ASMR, but most times we make the Never a dull moment here on Squawking Dead. <laughs> I'm your host, David Cameo, and I'm joined by Cosmom09, Rachel Burt, Sharon D.A.K. Blazy Gardner, and Survivors tier members, Aliza Jones71 on Instagram, Jasmine.iec on Instagram, and Bridget X Prophecy Girl on Twitter. We're here to talk about the 11th episode of the final season of The Walking Dead. Why, why, why I cry? <laughs> Primarily Eugene Focus episode. Thank goodness he's back. It's been a while. Happy to see him, but also not happy to see him. In terms of an episode, I would like to go around the room to get some feelings because many people have feelings and sometimes they like to talk about them. You know, I've had a lot of people say that they did not like the episode, that they felt it was really kind of boring. Josh McDermott deserves an Oscar for his monologue. It reminded me so much of you know Shakespeare. It was so just emotional and empowering. I think there's a lot of groundwork that got laid with this episode for things that are going to come. I see Connie in peril, Carol kind of becoming Lance's go-to person, and um, Josh possibly in peril. So I think there was a Eugene. lot of groundwork laid for the upcoming episodes. Groundwork wasn't the only thing laid. Ooh! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk about plumbers named Calhoun. <laughs> Roman Calhoun. <laughs> Trojan Calhoun. Jasmine's like, can we talk about The Walking Dead, please? <laughs> I really enjoyed this episode on my first watch through, but I found that I didn't really enjoy right, re-watching it repeatedly like I do with other episodes, because uh, I don't think it had like the same level of excitement as like the previous two episodes. But it was still a very, very good episode, and I really enjoyed um, Josh's performance. But one thing that I don't really understand is, why, why did Stephanie... Stephanie, fake Stephanie. Shira. Um, that one, yeah. <laughs> why did she? Why did she need to pursue a like such a such an intense relationship? Couldn't she have just like friend zoned him after like a couple of weeks or something? You know, would have mm. been a bit nicer. You know, rather than like fully like basically they looked like they're about to move in together. Like that's a pretty intense relationship. They could have quite easily done that in a kinder way and still got the level of information they desired. I think that's why she was. I think that's why she wound up leaving and cutting it, though. Yes, but why? But why let it get even to that point? I really, really did enjoy the episode. You know, I can't say it moved the story forward a whole lot, but we at least got some answers to questions that we've kind of had. I mean, well, more confirmation than answers because we all kind of knew. We all knew, so it was nice to be validated. Because of last episode, we 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 all thought Stephanie was faking it. Yeah. Except for except for when the last episode hit and we're like, maybe not. Uh, yeah. Maybe not. Well, then I started thinking, you know, there is no actual Stephanie. It's just a name that has been used. Stephanie's like their go-to alias when they're trying to deceive someone. I don't know. The Lance Carol portion of the episode, I mean, that it didn't again, it didn't really move the story forward a whole lot, but it did give us a glimpse into uh, more of who Lance is and kind of how he operates. And we got to see Carol 
Carol be Carolyn, you know, and I love it. <laughs> Do you still think Lance is a big dum-dum? Does he resemble comic book Lance in that respect? I call Lance a big dum-dum because I think he has these ideas of grandeur and he thinks if he does A, B, and C, it's all going to work out in his favor. And I call him a big dum-dum because I just don't see it working out in his favor. And I don't think he is even open to the possibility that the end result won't be what he wants. And he's very mm. opportunistic. Whatever will push him forward, he's going to do. Like Carol, she sees all paths, right? Like if I do this, 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 and this could happen from that. She sees all the options. I think Lance is like kind of on a one track. I don't see him weighing all the options. That's why I call him a big dum-dum. <laughs> maybe more to the point is that maybe he doesn't see the system for what it really is. And that it, that's going to be, that's impossible. Whereas somebody like you said, Carol does see the system for what it is and knows the exactly what she needs to do. And maybe yeah. Lance can't do that because Lance is all Lance has ever known is that framework. And then also the framework before they're similar. Who do whose yeah. palm do I have to grease to get to where we need to go? Uh, yeah. Bridget, what, what are your feelings? I have none. Beep boop. No. I'm Beep a up, Lord. No, I'm, I'm a ginger. <laughs> I steal your soul. I don't have one. <laughs> I felt like it had some real Alfred Hitchcock, like rear window vibes in my opinion with the like mm -hmm. i seem crazy but i'm not actually crazy kind of thing where he's like investigating the situation and the thing that really caught my attention is the difference between how we saw mercer last episode and episode 10 to this episode and same thing with max like the way that we saw her kind of a little like curt with lance versus like how soft she was with eugene and I'm starting to wonder if we're not seeing how the people that we're with at that moment perceive these people. Connie doesn't trust Mercer, so we see him as this kind of like tough, villainous kind of guy, a little bit shady. But when we're with Princess, we see this like softer side of him where he's like more gentle. So I wonder if that was an intentional choice. Instead of seeing like the overall character and like how they are, we're getting these like glimpses from other people's perspectives. In that we also ha we have to appreciate that not everybody's going to know who everybody is at any given moment. I think that's, that's why saying. I keep going like back and forth on characters why like Lance seems like he's maybe an okay guy in one episode and then he's like a douche in the next episode or why Mercer Meaning seems this really, episode. yeah, mm -hmm. and why Mercer seemed so harsh and then softened and then harsh again. We're kind of seeing all of these different traits in them as we go through and I just think it's the perspective of the, the characters that they're with. Everybody meets everybody else at their level or whatever level. Mm -hmm. All right, what about you, Sharon D? I like this episode, okay? It, it was, I wouldn't say it's a favorite or anything and I kind of agree with Jasmine. It's not one that I really, even though I did watch it several times, it's not one that I enjoyed watching several times. But what I do like is how they're, they're really trying different stuff in the universe. Like we had Connie's episode, which was like a horror movie, like a straight up horror movie. And then we had this one, which is like a film noir, you know, mi murder mystery. So I, I kind of like that they're, they're changing up the, I don't want to say like the, the layout or the framework or anything, but they're just cha changing up the how they lay out. Yeah, they're changing up how they lay out each episode. Um, not everyone, but you know, we get these little these little ones thrown in there that are like like movie genres, like the episode genre in Westworld when uh, <laughs> when he took the pill and it changed the genre. He he experienced a different genre throughout the night. You know, as noir noir and action and all that. The Aaron Paul ca uh, character, which I yeah, don't remember. Caleb. And what I really loved was Josh McDermott. Because we never really get to see Eugene get super emotional about anything. And Buddy, he 
Flynn. Like it, you know, he always stays so cool. Even when he's panicking, he's the same old Eugene. But he lost it in this one, and I loved it. It was awesome. I got to see uh, Josh stretch those acting chops a little bit. He finally found love and finally found someone who accepts him. And to lose that in such a fright place where you're not really comfortable and he doesn't really know everything that's going on and he, he meets this woman and he falls in love and now, boom, she's just gone. I can understand why he lost his shit the way he did. I absolutely agree with Jasmine. Like, there, there was a hundred better ways to break those two up without sending Eugene into a spiral. She could have just broken up with him and been like, sorry, man, I'm just not that into you. Why wasn't that an option? Yeah, why wasn't the normal ghosting routine enough? Yeah, because the Commonwealth is what, like, supposed to be like 50,000 plus people there. So, I mean, why not just go, dude, no. It was a good lay, but I'm out of here. The Maxine character. Why does she come to Eugene at the end of the episode? She knows everything she needs to say. It was, it seems like it was her. And we can maybe find points of disagreement on this one. It seems to me that the radio static denotes the fact that this is the person he was speaking to on the radio the whole time. I want to say yes. Does anybody Mm -hmm. disagree? Nope. I'd bet money. There could be a point. I'd bet money on it. Yeah, I, I think, I think that's who it was the whole time. Is it possible that Maxine, that somebody was spying or piggybacking off the signal to that conversation, able to know exactly? Because, okay, we all asked the, the question last time of how does this Shira know exactly what Eugene talked about on the radio? And how did Eugene not trip her up with questions to make sure that she was or wasn't Stephanie on the radio? I'm at least certain of this and that's it feels like at least Shira was listening in on the conversation and probably Lance because he just mentioned at the end of the episode, she hates Iron Maiden. So he knows, he knows everything. She hates Iron Maiden, which is something that they did bring about in season 10. Mm-hmm. It was. I think, I think Max got caught talking to him. And I think to keep her out of trouble, they were like, okay, you're going to continue this until we get them, we find find out where they're at, and we get all the information on them and get them here. So, because, you know, they got caught that time when Eugene went to use it, but I think Maxine probably got caught talking to him, and then it was like, okay, to keep you out of trouble, this is what you're going to do. I've always had the sneaking suspicion that she was in on it the whole time and maybe fell in love with him while talking to him, like unintentionally. Sheer mm-hmm. Maxine. Maxine. That's always been kind of my thought was like, I think she was put up to this by the Commonwealth to reach out to people. Much Mm. like, um, what was his name? That guy who reached out to Alicia in fear on the boat. Does anybody remember that? Oh, yeah. In season two. Chris? No, not Chris. It was the... The The guy on the radio. Young guy. The bad guy. The bad kid. something. Yeah. Um, Yeah. 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 He had the jack. Yeah. I was like, you had a basic Jack. Name. That's what Jack. it was, yeah. <laughs> he had a basic um, yeah. bitch name, but he wasn't a <laughs> yeah, very like basic bitch killer. Yeah. <laughs> it, it reminded me, it, like, in my head, it was like that. Someone hired on to reach out to people to kind of trick them into giving information. And I think in the process, she fell in love. That's just kind of where I've always thought that storyline was going. How long... Does everyone think Max has been Pamela's assistant? Oh, I thought it happened when they showed up. You think this is like a new position for her? So you think like as a result of this op, maybe, Rach? Well, I'm just, depending on how long Max has been Pam's assistant, it makes me think 
a few different things. If she's always been her her assistant, I don't see why they would assign her to outreach. Let's go a little bit backwards because what we learned in this episode is that Shira was, or I don't know, her name is Stephanie on the papers, right? Stephanie mm-hmm. is on the work order, the trans- work order transfer. So again, that's so weird. She's not known as Shira to anybody else but Lance. Obviously, it was Margot Bingham on the radio, Maxine. So that's what makes me think, what is the deal here? I think that Max and Shira and Lance, I think they're all a little upset by the extravagance and the clear class divide. And so they are working from within as a fifth column to bring down, not necessarily bring down the Commonwealth, but but bring down this these wasteful, overboard people, you know? So I, I feel like the, the plumbers... This is a matter of working man status, is that what you mean? Because Lance said he came up from the bottom. He was not a, a person on the top. And Mercer was probably a person on the bottom who only worked his way up through the military. So that would mean Max is a person who was a lower echelon person who maybe through knowing Mercer or, you know, it's through her own skills or whatever, she managed to attach herself to Pamela Milton. Or nepotism. Remember, remember when Tyler had her by the throat? She was like, I'm like you. I'm like mm-hmm. you. So I think that they're all working together to bring down the upper echelon of the Commonwealth and make it a little more even. Because anybody can tell you, yeah, history... When you have a big class divide like that, it never ends well. You know, there's like, there's always revolution. French revolution, in, more in, you know, French revolution. Yeah. Do you think these people Which, are affiliated with the resistance or are they separate? Yes, I definitely do. I definitely think they're affiliated with the resistance. Could it be that maybe there are two two resistances? Is it possible? <laughs> well, there there could, but a resistance has got to have people in the in the up. They've got to have inside people, or they're never going to get anything done. And they have these inside people who are working from the inside to kind of bring it down. And they needed the information Eugene had. Maybe they feel like bringing in people from the outside, like Alexandria, will kind of even, you know, the more the more people they bring in to even the keel, and then they have other people to support them, I guess, if that's what I'm, that makes sense. Well, and maybe the fact that they're new people who aren't used to this, uh, this system, they'll see this the wisdom in this movement right away, maybe? Right. Or at least well, try at to Magna. get them on their side. Look at Magna. I think Magna's going to end up being in the resistance. She's not. She's obviously not happy where she is. Not happy with the way things are shaken out. If if they bring in people and they can get more of these people to come in on their side, like, hey, you're never going to be in the upper echelon unless you win the lottery. You're always going to be one of these down people. So help us. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think several of our people are going to be the catalyst for the collapse of the Commonwealth. I think that Maxine maybe like got caught or. When she said, like, I'm going to come meet you, like, meet at the train yard, she, like, had to finally tell someone or, like, tell Lance or something. And I feel like Lance maybe, like, blackmailed her with Mercer, maybe, you know, her brother. And was like, well, if you don't let us do this, like, if you don't stay out of it from now, and if you tell Eugene the truth, then we'll do this. And it'll be bad for you, either to Mercer or something that, that directly affects her. Maybe she loses her job or something. Basically, like, she was forced into this situation. Um, and, like, seeing Eugene, like, actually genuinely was, like, really hard for her because she did like him. But the level of detail in the conversations, do you think Maxine had recorded these conversations prior? Either I think maybe she was forced to give up, like, the details of the conversation, at least, like, a rough idea, or maybe 
they were able to like gather information and processing and stuff to like add to that. Just I mean, you know, what would be even weird is if I mean, because Shira slash Stephanie looks like Max. There's some familiarity there in the their appearances. What if they're related? Oh, you saying Shira and Maxine? Yeah, and Mercer. And then because if Max, you know, if they are related, I can see Max divulging, talking to this boo on the radio to like a sister or a cousin. And then Shira would turn that and say, okay, this is what you, you, you're going to have to do this for the resistance or whatever. Well, let's pick apart one thing that we see at the end is that we see Shira without the glasses. And I think the glasses were meant to maybe feel like she's assuming the role of Stephanie or Maxine, whatever we're going to call it. The reason why I still haven't gotten the name straight is because when Maxine tells Eugene, I'm who you spoke with on the radio, she doesn't say I'm Stephanie either. Mm-hmm. So I, that's why I'm still calling her Maxine until the next episode. But yeah, maybe the glasses were her way of assuming a close facsimile to Maxine, let's say, to mm-hmm. assume her role. And when she didn't have to have it anymore, her whole outfit changed. too. Mm-hmm. You, you notice in the beginning of the episode, it's all floral prints and greens and, and whatever it is. At the end of the episode, it's like leather jackets and, and dark lipstick and, and, and right. darker toned clothing, etc. So she she was really put it pouring it on thick in terms of assuming a character. Why don't we read all the things that we put in the chat? Hey, next episode is going to be a Les Miserables episode, right? Because of the La Resistance. <laughs> I'm not reading all this shit. You guys are having a separate conversation. <laughs> Please read Bridget's because it is hilarious. <laughs> I said... Eugene is the only motherfucker to get catfished in the <laughs> Who cares? Bridget yep. says. Uh, and <laughs> go, Bridget. Go, Bridget. Just kidding. Um, and Charity says, and little people know when little people fight, we may seem easy pickings, but we got some bite. Well, what is that in reference to? I'm just it's like, a Lay Miz reference. It's a Lay Miz lyric. Gotcha. Gotcha. Sing yeah. it, damn it. Oh, but you have to say it in the original French. And little people terrible know accent. when little people fight, we may seem easy pickings, but we got some bite. So don't you kick a dog because he's just a pup. You better run for cover when the pup shows up. <laughs> oh, bravo, bravo. Encore, Jerry. <laughs> next, Rent is next. <laughs> oh, oh, I know that one. <laughs> hey, something I know. I, you'll notice I'm very uncharacteristically silent about this. I, I'm just, I'm in this state of confusion. And I, I'm not willing to I, go this way or that. No, I feel you. I have more questions now than I did before the episode. Even though they they completely confirmed everything we all knew, I, I'm I'm left with even more questions now about specifically Shira, Stephanie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The whole Eugene, right. Stephanie, Max, Shira, Lance, Roman, redhead g- woman. I mean, right. they Beanie kind of passed guy. over her. I, I almost wonder if this redheaded woman is going to end up being somebody like that we should have paid more attention to in this in this episode. <laughs> her name is Stephanie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she's Stephanie. Oh, that's, yes. That's why I think that's this episode was just kind of laying the groundwork for stuff to come. It was, you know, yeah. aside, yes. if we were to take Eugene's monologue out, all it does is lay groundwork for, for what's coming. You know, the one dynamic point was was his speech to, to Lance. And what a speech it was, too. 
just like all the firecrackeriness of, of everything he's ever felt. That, this is why I want to go back to the initial question of why go through the bother of this level of ghosting when Shearer tries to break up with Eugene. And I think that's the problem that they have to deal with is that Maxine Stephanie has been talking to Eugene for, I'm going to say about how long, actually? When the satellite cr crashes, he gets the equipment, he goes to Hilltop, finally reaches a voice. Coco's been born, the span of time, etc., etc. Whisper of War, probably change of seasons. Uh, was there another winter in between then and then? No, right? I don't think but so. But there was a fall. Right. Right? At the end of the Whisper of War. I don't think they were there for the Whisper War. I think they were well, gone. Not the war, well, they, but I, sorry, I, I meant the initial, like, Whisper. Oh, yeah, concert. yeah. But they, well, the whole I, but they reason left they left was to get help for the war right yeah. so it, yeah, it was like it was at the beginning the stages can we be safe in saying that it was it's been a couple of months that they spoke together at least if not several yeah. oh yeah for sure yeah. yeah leading up to the war and then him saying to everybody i think we need to rely on help because mm -hmm. that's the only way we're gonna get it. and then you know ended up being they didn't need it but they needed it for something else like not starvation right. the aftermath right. yeah so okay so that's that's kind of the reason. I'm sure this guy has a regularly scheduled time to speak to Maxine for however long he's going to speak to in the in the early wiles of the morning until the early wiles of the morning singing "When the Wind Blows" by Iron Maiden, which I, I brought <laughs> up. That's our that's our episode ninety, folks. Listen to our episodes. <laughs> so I can't see a world in which it's that easy to ghost a Eugene. It just doesn't make sense because. I think that we're really trying to delicately thread a situation where how can I use all this buildup and suddenly take it away? That's why I'm uncharacteristically silent. I can easily see the the needle that Lance and Shira were trying to thread when it came to Eugene because he's not a he's not a dummy, and I think they know that. I think they have to make him seem as make him as crazy as possible. I think I almost think they did it the way they did to almost make him crazy in a well, sense. Well, he signed the paper. You know, mm -hmm. right, um, right. They made him distraught to the point where they could sign where he could sign a paper saying, yeah, clearly distraught. people like Tyler Davis, uh, they're they're They almost lose their rights. I mean, Connie points oh, this yeah. out at the beginning of this or not the beginning, but yeah, around the beginning of the episode. What is it? What is being charged with? What is it? Uh, he a, has rights, right? It's a very common real oh, world and, issue too. And knowing, and what, knowing what I know, I mean, you know, you kind of think about where are they taking these people? And knowing what I know about what's going to become of Alexandria, because there was a whole lot of names on that list that Connie got. Since you dropped that little nugget, I know some of the names on that list, and it is crew. Garrett Immel, one of them, definitely. All of them. I will probably elaborate in the blog. I'll tell, I'll tell you each what each person on that list does for <laughs> The Walking Dead. It was kind of like, uh, wasn't it Denise Huth um, had her picture on the wall of the missing? I don't know, but that makes uh, sense. I think well, so. Denise was also governor's wife in the photo in his room. That's right. Oh, that's cool. Little cameos they like to make. Yeah. Ramon Guzman. There was one that like was particularly funny. I think Kirk Riley is, is it stunt work Kirk? He's like a stuntman. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's really cool. Like, yeah. and then at the end, Tyler Davis, <laughs> just Tyler Davis. What are these names? Yeah. It's the crew. Connie, you're on the case. This is a TV show. You've cracked the code. <laughs> right, right. You're in, um, was that J a Jim Carrey movie? Uh, Truman, Truman Show. Show. Truman Show. Thank you. You're all in the Truman Show. <laughs> That's what the Commonwealth is. I mean, literally, it is kind of like that. 
Everybody has their role to play. Everybody's playing no, somebody else. This is just a world in Westworld. Sharon and I have had this talk a million that times. That too. That too. <laughs> okay, it's fabricated. Yeah. And everybody has a part. Everybody <laughs> hosts. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah. Right. Or, or like guests that have, have amnesia. <laughs> this is the best yeah. I can do. And that whole notion of, you know, them trying to rebuild the world as it was. Well, it wasn't that great. Everybody keeps saying that, but... It's really not, though. Take case in point. Does a crazy person really lose their rights? Well, or a person who's, who is mentally distraught really lose their rights? It depends on the degree. But it seems like Eugene, who all it was, was he broke up. He got ghosted by his girlfriend. Now he's, he's, being, he's signing a paper that says, I, does he, is, did he sign a paper that says he loses his rights to an attorney and, 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 a, and a jury of his peers and, and the right to remain silent? Uh, does, he, does he lose all of that? Is Tyler Davis not owed representation even though he's mentally distraught? Of course he does. Oh, they mentioned a lawyer. Where is his lawyer? None mm. present. So that's, that's not the world before. The world before has many more procedures. This is like a farce of the world before. It, just because he lost his, his apartment and, and the money he's making, that doesn't mean he lost his rights, no. right? No. But editor Jan, she had said that he made that the doctor signed off on a PTSD report. So if he signed any paperwork agreeing to that, depending on what's in that document, he may have signed away any, you know, rights to representation in that paperwork if he if he didn't read the fine print. If it was some sort of confession or like he waives his right to representation or waives his right to trial. And then the state can decide whether they want to pursue charges or they leave well enough alone. If they take them out of the community, if they banish them from the community. And that's a whole other worry, right? I mean, because Lance makes note of this, what you just said, Eliza. I love how he plays with this word. He says, I, I, I don't want you guys to see us as uh, your people and our people. I want you to see us as everybody together trying to make a go of it. But then uh, he mentions something to the effect of, you know, we want people to be here. And if they don't want to be here, they could, they're welcome to leave. I will say at the end, when he's talking to Eugene, he says the exact opposite. He says, your people, your people, your people. So clearly there's some fuckery when it comes to who he is or what he claims he wants. And maybe he sees Carol as one, as like a Shira, like a possible Shira in the making. You know, like the, the people that he can co-sign or sign up for what he has in store. People that are observant people. He has well, no idea, though, about Carol. I mean, the, all the people that work for him in the plumber, the plumbers, the plumbers they could mean. all be people like him that he has groomed and moved up to the ranks. So maybe that's what he's trying to do with Carol now is take these people that were on the bottom and make them loyal to him for moving them up. You know, even may, maybe not on the outside, but giving them a higher status. Do we think that he definitely is giving them a higher status, though? Because he could just be rewarding them with like extra money or, or perks on the side. Rather could than just actually, be, like, altering their class status. Could just be the promise of that upgrade, too. Yeah. Like, it might be enough right. to give them hope. Like, I promise when I'm in charge, I'll make you one of the elite. Yeah, it seems like everything that he's done so far, he's promised something. And we, I don't think we've ever seen him really deliver on those promises. But there is another side of that coin in that he's been able to get Eugene out of jail through making deals a couple times now. He works within the system to say, okay, like, okay, I'll work it out, guys. You, you just take five. 
I'll talk to Eugene and get him to sign a piece of paper that says he's cuckoo bananas, and we'll just sort the whole thing out. We don't want to have to deal with this. Uh, who wants to go to court over this? When Carol gave him the intel about the opiate makers, he did have that lead guy arrested and said, you know, I'll get them their money back, you know. So he is sorely underestimating Carol. I think he thinks that she's going to be easily swayed, and I think she's going to do whatever she has to do for Ezekiel, but she's not going to join up on him. I'm not sure, though. So Lance does say to Carol, you know, I'll get them their money back, and so these people are being paid. But we also heard Lance say that they're not part of the Commonwealth. So what do they right. need money for? And what jurisdiction does he have to arrest this guy, too? Right. If he does actually bring him in, won't he be tipping someone off that there's people and like a whole other little side thing going on? But I want to know what they need money for. If they operate outside of the Commonwealth, what are they buying? Maybe they're buying goods from the Commonwealth. It's very possible. They give Lance a grocery list and then he goes and gets it and brings it back for him. (laughs) Maybe. So can we not assume that Alexandra is going to be like become an outpost for Lance? So are they maybe going to be asked to do something like grow opium, for example, not literally? So that all these outposts are actually just here to like benefit Lance in some way? And that they can potentially like trade with the Commonwealth and they can move in and out like Connie and Kelly can supposedly leave to go back to Alexandria? Okay. Yeah. So maybe I... Maybe the impression that I got was wrong, but I I got the impression that like the Commonwealth and Pamela Milton don't know about these people. I got the impression that this is like a secret. Okay. My thoughts on it that were perhaps that it was like an outpost that they were aware of, but they didn't know what they were doing. If you know what I mean? Is Pamela Milton going to know about like all the little outposts and exactly what everyone does in them? Or is this going to be like these people are attached to an outpost that's over here and they just come to the fields and do the opium and then Pamela is only aware of this like little side thing that's like the little town or something. She knew about Alexandria because she said something at the gala She to Lance. She was like, we'll talk about this Alexandria no, thing later. I mean, she's going to know about this group that does the opium, but she's not going to know they're doing the opium. Like They're going to have like a little town somewhere and they come out to like that's nearby and they come out and grow the opium. And then they go oh. home back to their little town. Okay, so you're oh, saying, so they, don't you're saying they live right there. there. Well, she's saying that they yeah, don't, they don't live, live right there, at like... the fields that we saw them at. That they would go Yeah, they, they live somewhere. nearby, oh, okay. and there's like perhaps more of them in like a little mm. bigger built-up area that's an outpost. So, so they leave the okay. Commonwealth every day? Like, no, not the Commonwealth, but like an outpost of the Commonwealth. <laughs> I get you, okay. Well, to, so they... that, to that point then, does anyone actually believe that that opium goes to the hospital? Yes, why would they I'd, need that much opium? I'd though? say most of it. I'd say I think uh, Moto's pocketing majority. some of it. I was really doubtful. <laughs> Getting high of, on his own supply. I was really, really doubtful when it, when Lance said we use this for the hospital. I was like, Do yeah, you though? In in what world does the hospital need that much opium? In a Pain world of waters. <laughs> well, they do have 147 surgeries scheduled right now, so maybe they do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but if they're work, if they're working on a system where they're not going to get to Ezekiel's surgery for such a long time, they're basically going one surgery at a time. Are they really going to need that much opium to sustain the system? I mean, it, it wasn't a terribly large field, but then there's also seasons. I'm just wondering, out of all of us, how many of us actually make drugs? Like, I can't look at this field and tell you how much no. opium it's going to produce. Like, I don't have that knowledge. Does I, anyone here I, have I, that I could, information? I could, I, could, I could give you a, a rough estimate. Sure. Yeah, okay, please, please. 
So has anyone seen Ozark? Yeah. Yes, I have. But that's a sh- so that's another show. Just, it's not could factual. We not so assume, could we not no, just assume uh, by the size of the Ozark? No, we can't. How we can't. They <laughs> no, well, we, we can't gather assume... facts. We can't gather facts for one fictional show from another fictional show. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't matter. The poppy isn't only used for morphine it's used for oxycodone which is pain management and heroin but like most of most of the surgery related drugs and pain management drugs are derived from the poppy plant 2.5 acres of poppies typically produce between 17.6 and 33 pounds a season and that's not a terrible amount so per season so that's one haul so that's not a lot of that's not a lot kilos so they need so apparently in relation to how much they need it for surgeries and pain management it may be just enough well and you have to remember there's eighty thousand people and do we think that there may be yet another hospital in a different portion and like you said heroin so in the real world there's drug addicts so why wouldn't there be drug addicts in this world i guess i was just assuming that at minimum a little bit was being pilfered off the top for like a seedy underbelly type situation. Oh, I'm sh- I'd be sure yeah. of that. Yeah. But the way Lance said it just led me to believe like, was he actually taking this back to the Commonwealth or was he like doing something mm-hmm. more sinister mm-hmm. with it? I'm, I'm actually almost considering the fact that whatever it is that he's trying to do is to facilitate, I mean, really like running this place. There's a side of Lance that is keenly aware a certain amount of the system needs to continue, continue running. And if it doesn't, chaos. And nobody, even Lance, wants that. I don't think he wants to bring the system down more than he wants to take out the people in charge. He feels like he would be more responsible. And it goes to what, we, what we've been slowly becoming aware of, and that is Pamela Milton it does not know how this player's place runs, and I'm looking at Rachel on this one. This just feels more and more like she's com- completely ignorant of, way, of whatever's going on. Does that jive with what everybody's thinking, though? And that he feels like he should get the reins of power. I'm not saying that's nefarious or not. And that's exactly why I have a hard time coming to some sort of conclusion about Lance. As much as we see this side of him in this episode, we can't ignore the last episode. Well, Lance is like a lot of people who are second in charge, right? Like, oh, I could do it better. Yeah. Well, the hilltop formula, right? Mm -hmm. And and, But who's to say that that he's not right, too? Like Tara was in charge when Jesus was in, in was in control. Jesus was in control when Maggie was in control. Maggie was in was in control when Gregory was in control. And arguably, mm-hmm. all of those people were better than the original person in charge, save for maybe Maggie. But it seems like Jesus was a facilitator. Yeah, he facilitated people getting Maggie to the table, getting Maggie to 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 calm down a little bit when it can't like the wild horse theory, taming wild horses. It was Jesus that really kind of tamed yeah. her. And if Lance really did start at the bottom and work his way up, you know, maybe he would be a better leader because he, you know, worked for it instead of was just handed this position. And yet what's the difference between the the hilltop formula and the Commonwealth formula? Lance just, and I don't blame him per se for this. Kind of like what I was saying about the the soldiers. It's not enough to want to, to know that you are facilitating Soldiers get the immediate gratification. They know, they feel in their work that what they're doing has rewards. I'm keeping people safe. I just killed that walker. I'm keeping people safe. Lance, I feel like after keeping this place up for however long he's been keeping it up, we don't know, but for however long and keeping this these, this thing running, I think at a certain point he feels like, why can't I be in charge? Why is there, there no uplo- uh, upward mobility? Which brings up a question, does Governor Milton have an election cycle? And here's the thing. 
if there is an election cycle and she keeps being elected, and maybe Lance knows this because people don't know what he's achieved, maybe he's trying to set himself up so all of his accomplishments can be, at some point, revealed so that he could get elected and maybe run against Governor Milton. But then that brings up another thing, which is assigned jobs. You're not a registered politician, Lance. Mm. Maybe there's a whole, maybe only people in political families can. This is like a classic, I won't choose the president, but I will choose the candidates. And that was called... It's a militatorship. Oh, it's Tweedism. After Boss Tweed. He was well known for picking the candidates. But, you know, still keeping up the sham of the, mm. the elections. Well, if you have, if you have a, a gamut of the candidates you want to be elected, then who cares who's the president? But well, what do you think about what I've just said? Like, that's the difference between... Like, Tara knows she's doing something good. Jesus, when Maggie was in charge, knows he was doing something good. He had this feedback. Or he didn't need it. He was a good person. He just knew that whatever I'm doing here right now, I don't need the recognition. I'll... Whatever. Uh, and then Maggie's taking a holiday, you know, or, or Jesus is taking a holiday when Tara's in charge. But I think after a certain time... I think he just wants to know that he's, his accomplishments mean something. And, and you got to admit, the guy is doing a lot to keep, keep the ship running. The fact that he has to go through such lengths to get the opium that he needs to get, to get bringing these Alexandrian peoples, maybe for whatever purpose they need to serve. To me, he's like a pussy version of Simon. Simon wanted so much to be in charge. And, you know, he went against even what Negan said when regards to the, the killing. It was always he that went out to all of the satellite places and to keep everybody in line and keep Gregory in line and keep them producing for, you know, the sanctuary. But he was not fit to lead. He may have been fit to lead for the saviors. But when I look at him and I look at Lance, I mean, Lance is kind of the, like the, the pussy version of, you know, of Simon. He doesn't have the balls to for that violence like Simon did, to get across his point. But I think he's wanting the same thing. You Enter know? Carol? Enter Carol. Carol's going to yeah. be his knowledge and the one who says, oh, yeah, you need to do this. And then, oh, it kind of does give him the courage. He's a very cowardly figure, I think. And again, like I said earlier, he's very opportunistic. Whatever is going to help, like you said, push him forward, push him towards the top, he's going to do it regardless. He's going to be very, you know, swayed. Yeah. yeah, Simon was all about brute force and Lance is more about thought process. Yeah. Well, so then arguably, yeah, Lance may be the pussy version of Simon. I can't believe I'm using your words. <laughs> but in terms of efficacy, Lance is arguably a better leader. I'm posing that more of a question, as more of a question than an assumption. Would you agree to that? Because Simon clearly is a bad leader. Simon was all about brute force. There was no thought. Or diplomacy. Or or diplomacy, or and he wasn't doing it so that he could get shit for other people either, or anything like that either. He was doing it because he wanted to be the leader. I mean, Lance may want to be the leader, but I feel like Pamela's the figurehead, and Lance is just the one making everything happen in the background. Maybe he does want the recognition, like we saw he did, because he got all jealous when Mercer got cheered, got the cheers. Mm -hmm. I don't you know what the next question is going to be. Who do you think would be a better leader, Pamela Milton or Lance Hornsby, given these two options? As much as you don't want it to be the case, I, I know I'm leading the question. I but. think well, it would I think, be... I think Lance. Yeah, I think Lance, because Pamela doesn't... I don't think Pamela knows what the hell's going on. I think she's just there for everybody to look at. When do they ever? Yeah. <laughs> so, her, her queen right, exactly, exactly. She's just there for... She's there to be something for everybody to look up to. Oh, look, the world is fine because we have this beautiful woman who's all classy and... And she's taking care of everything, so we're going to be just fine. She's a celebrity. 
Mercer's a celebrity. She's like Lance the, isn't. Right. Lance, yeah, is the, Lance is the agent behind the scenes doing all the crap. Pamela Milton, she was in the White House. You know, she, you know, I, I take it as a child. She well, had family Hill, in yeah. politics. So, I mean, I think Sharon is exactly right. She's she's a celebrity that people recognize. But yeah, Lance is dressing Halloween. Totally the, the get her done. Get her done. The get her well, done. And she's classy. She's got she's got the presence and she has the the class. You know, thank you. Gravitas. Lance does not. When people look at Lance, they don't see this classy. You got uh, me feeling bad. Scale woman. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they're like, oh, look very Lance. nice. It's it's just Lance, you know. He's do you, he's do you the think guy. it's just because they don't know who he is? Do you think that's it, or do you think it's just they see him the way we? I think it's I think it's visual. Like we in today's society, Sorry. we look at certain people and we give them more gravitas because they look better, they're prettier, they dress it's nicer. It's so true. It's, it's status, so true. and I feel like that's what's going on with Pamela too. It's all about status. It's not because she's the good leader. It's not because she's good at anything. She's good to look at. She's comforting. They know who she is. Lance is just the guy doing all the work. He's just the guy doing all the work. He's just the guy doing all the work. I just we have to rephrase that in different tones to to see how to, to see how ridiculous it's. But what you're saying is 100% true in real life. I can't believe I'm saying this again. My wife is a high school teacher, and at some point during the last election, she was talking to her students about all these different candidates and what they represented. And oddly enough, they chose the libertarian candidate. But this is just to illustrate the fact that, like, when it came to progressive candidates like Bernie Sanders, like, oh, he's too shouty and ugly and old. And th- th- when you ask these people, but they're a, but they're a um, hyper-emotionalized or hormonalized version of us. Like, when we see, we, we see certain candidates, we will often say that it's policy points that we like about them. But honestly, the door that opens first is how they look. Are they receptive? Do they have the gravitas necessary to command? Like, what is that? What is that? Are your policies good? Yeah, let's elect the policy. Okay, whatever. But none of us can escape this. I want to touch on something that Aiden just said, and I liked it. It was, uh, I wish Deanna was still alive. Mm. And I thought that was very a very interesting thing to say, be- given the fact that, okay, if w- what if Deanna was alive? Oh, she's a much better choice for leader mm-hmm, in some mm-hmm. senses. And But this is what we have to work with. And that's usually the case in real life, too. This is the shit that we, we usually have to work with, which I admire. I wanted to go back a little bit farther to something Aiden had said about Pamela's dad. I think um, Aiden, because she did that deal, I think she said, it's what her father would have wanted, I believe, is when she revealed the portrait or something that her father would have been proud of. I don't think he ever saw it. I think maybe he died before it was fully established. But if I'm remembering when she unveiled it, you know, she I think she said it was something that her father would have been proud of. I can't remember the exact line, but something that she said made me think that he did start the Commonwealth. I mean, obviously, I don't think he saw what it became what it is now but something that she said made me think like that he was there in the beginning building the commonwealth i found the script for that episode thanks to my father's sacrifices we are all here brick by brick and block by block we're putting the world back together the way it was my father would be so proud to see what the commonwealth is today how much this place protects and cares for all of its citizens and then that's when uh tyler davis comes tyler up. comes in it's bullshit bullshit this is bullshit I'm emo, emo ex uh, Commonwealth authority person. I think she was just alluding to the fact that from the work that my father started, I think he basically just means in 
his charge. I don't know if he started the Commonwealth. I don't. That can be interpreted many different ways. So she says, it took Miss Park nine months to lovingly create this painting. Like many of our citizens, she sustained serious injuries out in the world before she found sanctuary at the Commonwealth. Thanks to my father's sacrifices, we are all here. So. So then maybe that brings the question that maybe, maybe this place was meant to be, God, maybe this place was meant to be like a haven, like a bunker originally for, let's say, politicians like himself. It's where all the rich people went. Like they have the... All the billionaires have the um, Say it right. the rocket ships and everything. So. <laughs> all Sorry. the billionaires the have a place to go. The Commonwealth is actually Padre. <laughs> God, wouldn't that be a trick? This is a good time for me to say I love you guys, and I'm going to bow out. So mm-hmm. i got to go do some stuff for my, my folks. So I love you guys. Love you too. Love you. Sharon, you made Eliza leave. <laughs> okay. No, you, no, you didn't. I'm just kidding. She had to I know go. she had to, she yeah. had to leave at six o'clock her time. I know. Actually, it was your Walker impression. Elisa time. Elisa <laughs> time. Elisa standard time. <laughs> ASP. <laughs> so we're talking about cult of personality is the door that opens that gets you to that. It really just automatically gets you that, and then policy is almost secondary. But go ahead. That's how they defeated Richard Nixon because on JFK looked yeah. he was good looking, young, had nice hair. No, like war hero. Young. And Richard Nixon was bald. Wetty and over the face. And when people saw them together on camera, they just naturally <laughs> gravitated towards JFK. I mean, that is that is literally why he won the election, because he looked better. Thus began debates, the cult of personality. Wasn't he sick with, like, um, food poisoning or something? So he was, like, sweating, like, extra hard. Yeah. So the public was like, oh, this guy is gross. You want to hear something even crazier? It was it was well known that John Kennedy was had like all these different illnesses and he didn't always look his best, but he still looked better than well, not still look better. He was still, I don't know, the epitome of what people saw as attractive. So it didn't matter if he was sick or not or looked sickly. People just followed, you know, it, it's real. That shit's real. Uh, mm-hmm. ja- OK, Jazzy, what's, what's going on? Who's te- who's John Kennedy? Like it's so like appearance based. How did you guys like elect an orange? That's a cult of personality because he was already famous. TV yeah. personality. Yeah, it it was all it was all in the television because he was on TV. It's still cult of personality. Thus yeah. proving it's all in it's that's another axiom though. It's all in who you know. You tend to mm. trust someone you know, even if that person is the devil you know. I'm, and I'm not saying that's. But I want to be clear. I'm not saying I want to be even keeled here. I'm not saying that's what I, I think. I'm just saying that that's a thing. <laughs> so well, that's a prior, Politi- prior. Politics aside, yeah. politics, aside, yes. aside, politics aside, the cult of personality is a real thing. That's why the Kardashians are famous. You know what I'm it's saying? Just, it's, they're just in the ether. It's, yeah. And that is that is how Trump got elected because he was already famous in the United States for being on television and you know being this fucking famous rich guy or whatever. It was all wrapped up in he was a TV star more than yeah. anything. He, was in home, home alone. he yeah. had a TV show. He was. He was. Home alone. He was, he was. In home alone. Yeah. And yeah, that's why mm-hmm. people yeah. voted for him. But I mean, he had a TV show too. He had a um, <laughs> the, Apprentice. the Apprentice. The Apprentice. And then he's Wait, been in the tabloids he, and, and all that from shit. The so. Yes. Yes. I know that. I mean, mm-hmm. I only watched the British one. Prior to Trump, we also had a former wrestler, correct? Jesse Ventura was elected. Jesse Ventura. In America's and I was going to say, I didn't know Obama was. Interestingly enough, uh, he be, he was actually well regarded. Schwarzenegger. 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 
Mm-hmm. Ronald, yes, mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. That's right. Libertarian. I going to say. We're Republicans and Democrats. It's my, sorry. It's something he's actually said, and it is one of his books. So I haven't read it. I'm just saying it's a book. This is getting annoying to me, so I'm just going to leave, but I just want to bring up one thing I want to ask, and then I'm just going to go. I'll come join in the audience. One of the things I've, I've, I want to know is, is it harder to come back and re-civilize than it was to lose your civilization in the first place? So all these people who have been in the apocalypse for all these years, you know, they've had to go wild, say they've had to be wild. Is it harder for them to come back into a place like the Commonwealth and reintegrate and become civilized again after living the way that they have. Oh, I love that you brought that up, Sharon D. I wrote something in my notes about this. I said, Lance and Carol, I feel better out there. Like when they were talking on the ride in, it reminded me of the Hatchet series. Has anybody read the Hatchet books? By whom? Brian Paulson, I believe. They're a young adult series of, of books and they're about a young boy who's in um, a small plane and he's being flown um, to visit his father, who lives really far out in Minnesota, I think. While he's in the plane, the uh, pilot ends up having a heart attack. And so he flies the plane consistently by himself because the pilot kind of taught him how to like keep it level and then has to come up with a plan on how to land. So he sees a body of water and he like nose dives into it. He miraculously survives. He lives through this whole situation, you know, creating shelter, all of this. And all he has is a hatchet. That's the name of the book. There's a lot about it in the epilogue. And then there's a lot about it in later novels about going back to the real world and how he like loved food so much when he came back because he wasn't able to find it out there. It was like so hard to find. Everything was about finding food all of the time. And so he had this like really distorted view of food then when he came back and he would constantly think about how trivial everything was in regular life. Like the watching TV was trivial and going to school was trivial and doing all this stuff just didn't matter because he had fought for his life for so long. There had been like this visceral naturalistic instinct in him, like this animalistic instinct that had been there that he was working through, you know, to live. And then he had to just put it aside and everyone expected him to come back and just be normal and he couldn't. And so that's what the like really deep message of the book is about. And that's what this reminded me of was that whole concept of like, how could you ever go back? I can add to that because what you're talking about is a boy who grew up. So like you're in that neuroplasticity stage where you're like literally learning how to be an adult or a human. But like, I can easily see all these survivors trying to make it on their own in civilization, something that resembled civilization, let's say with Alexandria, right? These are people that are constantly trying to find equilibrium and a sense of civilization. So it's not like they're like Rick, like Bushbeard Rick coming into Alexandria. Like that was a stage. But within all these stages of them trying to ward off enemies, but also trying to find some prison or find some Alexandria or find some hilltop or find some Oceanside. They were always trying to find some sort of equilibrium or some sort of feeling of the world before. So I can easily see a mode where they like, once they make it to the Commonwealth, they just naturally let themselves PTSD aside, allow themselves to like ease into the, their old, either their old habits or take whatever they've learned in the apocalypse and try to reintegrate that into a new person, let's say, or into a person that copes with some sort of civilization. People want to be normal or people want to be back on track, let's say, on their old tracks. We learn that as we grow up, but I can see how the Hatchet series, how that boy could not 
unlearn what he's learned. Real world experience wise, I know that while and while in the you're probably right, there are probably people that can just stroll right back into the Commonwealth and go like, thank God, finally, it's back to normal. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying but that's what they want. (laughs) Yeah, but um, I know that there was a show on PBS back in like mid to late 90s called like the Pioneer House or the something like that. They lived on the frontier. It's like a social experiment. Some of those people when they came back could not adjust to regular life again. Yeah, one of the guys like was trying to g- gather that group back and he was like come back out there with me. We'll buy a property. We'll live off the land. Like let's do it again. And some people were like, "No, dude, I am not going back out there." But that guy had like a really hard time mental health wise like adjusting to coming back to the real world. He just found himself and he couldn't not find himself. But that's a real thing, right? Yeah. I think that perhaps it will vary from person to person. Like I think for example, Magna is like fuck no, like I can't readjust to this form of civilization. But other people that do maybe want it more will adjust easier. And people that have family and other reasons to be there, even if they're finding it hard, they're going to like do it for the people they care about. Well, like Daryl, right? Like Daryl is yeah, a like prime Darryl. example. I don't, I don't think... I don't think he was, he's like super like, oh, he could just adjust to civilization. But I think he's just in the mindset of, right, this is Judith, this is RJ, you know, I'll just do what they say. Like, as weird as this feels, I'm just going to go with it. It is something I sort of said uh, in the prior episode, which is kind of like, of course, he's not thinking of himself and what he wants, but he's doing it for (laughs) RJ and Judith. And then maybe in that pursuit, he finds out how to live. So like, we all find ways to trick ourselves into civilization or being civilized or finding civil discourse or finding paths to get on, getting on. Because we see a little of that in Mercer this episode. The moment he actually starts to give a shit, finally he's pissed off. He's supposed to have this authority when it comes to Tyler Davis. But he finds out that the moment he actually gives a shit that he, that he should exercise that authority, he realizes his authority can be subverted any any time and that he's just maybe to it was a jasmine jasmine your point was that he was just optics i mean yeah i'm sure general mercer which i i like that little factoid that we got in this episode he's a general he's helping his people he's, he's training up these these troopers he's doing all this good i think but then when he comes back kind of like a nice little parallel with lance and carol and yeah it's it's different he has to deal with the people in the system that he has been okay with he's been getting on to get on but I don't, I don't know how long this can last with him. I don't know how long he can not see what's going on or, or refuse to give a shit about what's going on. He is a lot like Lance, by the way. Mercer is a lot like Lance in, in that respect. He sees the system for what it is, and they both react to it differently. Lance is, like you said, ambitious, driven. He wants to feel like he's doing something. I think Mercer is the same way in their own capacities. They refuse to see certain ills, or Lance will see the ills and try to game the system. Mercer's like, I see the ills and I just go, I roll my eyes or have that frustrated look, but I still, I just keep my head down. Cause I know it's, it's he's out there all the time. He's literally telling Connie and Kelly, are you satisfied? This is what we're, this is why we're here. I don't care what happens. No, why, why are you, why are you asking these questions? This is, this is what this is all about. I see this shit every day. This is, I don't care what problems we have inside. This is what we're protect. He's like Rick. This is what we're protecting everybody from. It's, it's out there. Those are the enemy. Rick impression. So, so it's two opposite ends of the spectrum. Seeing the ills for what they are. One is deciding to take advantage and maybe make something out of it. Who knows? Lemons out of lemonade. That's Lance. 
but Merce is kind of like, okay, whatever. This lemonade has no sugar, whatever. It's it's it, it's it's hydration. What am I supposed to complain? <laughs> I'm thirsty. Here's some liquid. Okay, appreciate it. Damn it, appreciate it, Connie and Kelly. What's wrong with you, walkers? Get it through your head. Fuck mangoes. Sorry, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> My stupid rant. Would you like a fun fact? Sure. Anything. About Eugene's speech. So he mentions the term heartstrings. You want a fun fact about heartstrings? They are anatomically real and have the name called an eye tendon eye. <laughs> what, what is their purpose? What, what, what are they actually, though? They, they, um, they support your valves. Your valves? So the thing that flows valves. the blood, they keep you alive, your heartstrings? So your, your atrioventricular valves. They tickle, so they the, tickle do they your... do anything special when we get emotional? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's actually like a, a real thing. Like when you are emotional, your cord and I tend and I do pull harder, Aww. which is why your like, heart rate increases and you get the little, yeah. Oh, I love it's it. The, the, the analogy actually comes from a real thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> My lectures finally did come in useful. <laughs> Aside from trying to save lives and doing actually something significant, you're here on this podcast, Merce, uh, Lance. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you one thing I do know about numerology, motherfucker. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Tyler Davis's room is M33. 33 in double numbers is a very significant thing in numerology. That is the only thing I really know is that people, when they tend to tattoo themselves, use double, double numbers, but more than anything, that 33 is the master, it's literally called, I didn't write it actually down, but I know it's like the master <laughs> number. <laughs> That's weird. It's so the, it's um, like the, the most common number tattooed on people? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. If you got a number tattooed on you, you would want significance to that number. It's, it's strange that so many people have a significance to the number 33. I think it's more because it's like, it, it really connects with the master spirituality when people want to connect with something outside of religion and also connected with people who are attempting to be spiritually giving as well so it's not a, it's not enough to be spiritually inclined but they want to be spiritually giving or giving people there are 33 numbers in the spine jesus lived to 33 so there's some sort of spiritual significance to that so if tyler davis was in room 33 should we expect that he's a spirit now <laughs> <laughs> was it did you say it was m 33 yes because mm-hmm. m is a thousand in roman numerals okay and i just looked up 1033 and it did come up as an angel number Ooh. which rachel discussed last <laughs> week the number 1033 is a combination of vibrations and influences of the number one the number zero and the number three doubled master number 33 enhancing its power mm. Number one in numerology represents a new beginning, leadership, creations, instincts, intuitions, positive energy, inner strength, success, and rewards. So this sounds like a real <laughs> in regard to this <laughs> specific thing. Bridget is my spirit animal. This one didn't line up. This didn't line up at all. <laughs> Although, what if Tyler Davis, because of what they, what the Commonwealth tries to do, because everybody heard his speech, or at least the elites did. Connie heard it. She's a reporter. What if she decides to publish something and Tyler Davis becomes synonymous with a martyr? And then that would hold up. Oh, hold on. I got something else New beginnings. Okay, you can decode the number (laughs) to add 1 plus 0 plus 3 plus 3, which equals 7. And 7 resonates that you are on the right path in your life. That's what we call gematria. Yeah. So there you go. Connie was on the right path because these (laughs) random numbers added together say that she is 
<laughs> oh, shit right now. I don't have nothing, to. Nothing is random what? in The Walking Dead. Stephanie lived in residential one. Mm-hmm. Can we associate any meanings with that? Yeah. Well, actually, thank you for saying that because she lived on 1634 Racine, residential one. 1634 Racine or South Racine was the site of where Malone lived in, uh, in the Untouchables movie in Chicago, South Racine. Why is that significant? Because they have a Bill Murray reference. Bill Murray's from Chicago. And we got the... Mother Puss Bucket. You Mother mother Puss Bucket. I can't recall it on command, people. Which he said in Ghostbusters. Moto said this. In the I episode. actually thought that he said Mother Puff Bucket on the first watch through. <laughs> puff Bucket? A bucket of puff? Yeah, well, you I don't know. Puff maybe bucket. he was vaping a lot. <laughs> I thought it was like a throwback, like a fun throwback reference to Mother Dick because Cudless <laughs> directed this episode. So that was, I don't know, yeah. Sharon threw in a fact this is 1933 was the rise of Hitler. So, yeah, there's that. Mm. <laughs> What's the significance of 19 plus 33? Well, it's a, it's a so happens. <laughs> Many great things will happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> where's the, wait, where's wait, the little hook that takes me out of the show? <laughs> you can decode this number by adding them together. <laughs> With the 1033? Yeah. You can decode. You can what decode does that mean? It. <laughs> Enlighten me. I don't know. Some bullshit. Some bullshit <laughs> somebody made bullshit. up on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if I'm offending anyone who believes in angel numbers. I apologize. Sharon, said three plus three plus seven, with the seven being the significance of adding 1033, the gematria, and then 33 is episode 11, which is this episode. Oh, this episode is 11. <laughs> Double number. Double number. <laughs> podcast I'm has trying something completely different now. I I am not doing it so I, Bridget can do it so I don't have to I'm clean here I'm done I'm good okay wisdom time did anybody hate themselves after uh trying to read what what Eugene wrote on the wall there are some funny nuggets on his serial killer board like the waffle cone he pinned the waffle cone from that day he pinned the waffle cone in the top left corner. I did not see that. That's fucking amazing. <laughs> okay. See, because he's always got to do something. He's always got to do something that makes me like, why do you got to do that? I was taking you so seriously this whole episode until I actually saw that. I'm like, it doesn't need to be there. He, he, had, he had the taste of tradition, which is the ice cream truck company on there. But then he had the waffle cone tacked right next to it, which reminded me, has anybody seen Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Not Jasmine. <laughs> I have not seen it. At the beginning of the movie, the beginning of the movie, so it's not really like a spoiler even, he's brought in all the people he knows in life to the basement to try to find out where his bike is. And he's showing this evidence. And the evidence is, evidence number one, a picture of his bike. Evidence number two, the horn on my bike. And then like, so that reminded me of like this board. I'm like, you're just showing things. <laughs> Like, you're not showing evidence. The lock I had on my bike. This is the gun that I bought on the day my bike was stolen. Like the waffle cone. I really like this gum. But I didn't really get anything out of this board. And I felt stupid. Did any of you feel stupid as me? 
Oh, I'll feel I stupid later when I actually pause it and freeze frame and go item by item. I did see a pair of chapsticks up there. She says, oh, the clock hands. The clock hands when Eugene was waiting for Stephanie, which is a metaphor for the Commonwealth. On the surface, everything looks good and clean and together. But there are little imperfections that make the whole thing unstable. Well, the clock was broken. The, the hands were, were busted. It wasn't actually telling time. So oh it's my an, God. an illusion of time. It's, it's kind of like uh, in back. It's funny how we mentioned Back to the Future in the beginning when we we're doing sound levels because it's like the clock tower in the middle of the square. It was, it's been broken since been broken, uh, 1955. Yeah. But it also says something else. What is it? A common expression that we actually say: "A broken clock is right twice a day." Yeah, the, which the, you know, this one wasn't even right once because the hands were literally busted off. So not even right it twice yeah. a day. <laughs> no, not even not even right once a day. Or or they're right all the time, so you should just shut up because walkers and also mangoes, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> one's like laying on the bottom of the clock this way, and the other one's like up against this. Like they're not even, it's like a they're not even, yeah, no, yeah. they're like completely broken off. <laughs> I also noted the train cars in the back when Eugene was sitting down waiting for Stephanie. Remnants of like things from prior episodes, like, okay, reminder, this is where you were when they picked you up and captured you and then held you there, guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and then and then you see the same, you know, obviously the transition between him waiting for her and then like him like being like, oh, she's not coming. But you still see them in the background like, oh, this is you were fucking duped. You were fucking duped to get to come here. I, it's it's very noteworthy because they could have filmed it from the other direction or from a different angle. or But no, they had to have the train cars in the background to remind you how he came, how frightened he was when he came into this universe or this Commonwealth too. broken. I need to go. But can you guys like start talking about princess now? You know, her friendship with Eugene, how she's adjusting better than everybody else, her cat reference, you know. A, a little apartment, little everything. cat, little bed. Just talk about everything. All right. Okay. Everything Bye. princess. This is the princess Bye. show, Squawking Princess. <laughs> we haven't got anything else to talk about, so I'm saving you here. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I've burnt out on this episode. All, All right, right bye Jasmine. Guys. Bye. Say goodnight, bye, Jasmine. Jasmine. No. We love you. I will Bye, Jesse. Love you. I, I did it so you don't have to. Bye. Then there were three. It was six in the beginning. <laughs> and there were three. Princess was a real MVP for that fake out lasagna, though. That shit was hilarious. Yeah, yeah I, I never laughed so hard in a reaction video. Except for when Sharon D did heart hands when it came to Negi. That, <laughs> no, that, nothing can beat that. <laughs> she did this and at the corner of my eye, I'm like, stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> After I almost lost my breath laughing. Yeah, the imaginary lasagna had me on the floor. Yeah, there's something people say, apparently. You have to let to people, people in when they have you, give you food. Yeah, <laughs> true. True story. And, then I, and then I yelled at Princess and I went, but you didn't actually bring food, Princess. <laughs> yeah, but it doesn't matter. I'm here. I was also, That's smart. I just love her reaction to the board, too, because she's like, Oh, oh, like, this so is, what's up? This is cool. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> this seems productive of your time. Commonwealth citizen, potentially. <sighs> I, I really feel for both of them, though. I mean, think about it. Like, Princess is the kind of person who has been abandoned, period. She's very versed in abandonment. So this is like a second nature to her. And like that story about her father was very interesting. Mm -hmm. And it was perfect for that moment, even though Eugene just still says it with the birds chirping in the background, which I thought was beautiful. It was a beautiful moment. The birds chirping in the background ever so slightly and him saying, but I know what I felt. Both very heartbreaking, like the story and then him saying, I know what I felt. But that's also them. They're like the same person. But I know what I felt about my father. Like, I didn't want him to leave. 
even though he might have been a jerk. Who knows? We still don't want him to leave. Look, I can attest if your father's a jerk, you still don't want him to leave in my personal life, for sure. That was like a really raw moment for her character, which I loved. And I love that despite the fact that her and Eugene didn't know each other for that long, she's created such a strong connection with him. And, you know, I know we've done like a little bit of a time skip forward, but just to know that 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 trip to the Commonwealth really just bonded them together as friends. We got to see a little more of her like quirky side in this episode, which I I love. I hated when she like looked so flat and sad in the earlier episodes. So I was like happy that there was that goofiness to her again. Yeah, I mean, Princess is a powerhouse. I'm actually not surprised at all that she is able to acclimate to the Commonwealth so easily and so quickly. Dave, you had said before in past episodes, she's she's just, she's desperate to be around people. I think she's so happy to just be surrounded by people. I don't know, maybe she's not aware of any problems going on. Maybe she doesn't want to be aware of any problems that are going on. Also seen reflected a lot in this episode, too. Yeah, yeah. I, it didn't surprise me at all that she was able to fit in so quickly. Now, I'm going to embarrass myself just a little bit here and tell you guys, there were a couple of moments where I seriously questioned if Eugene was actually talking to Princess or if she was just an imagination that Eugene was projecting, trying Are to- you me? <laughs> trying to keep himself <laughs> in Grounded? rational thought. Or... Yeah. Like- like part of him knew he was kind of going crazy. And so he needed someone to pull him back down and say, you know, here's what's really happening. Now, obviously, Princess was there. She was very real. This was happening. But there were. So a is Brandon real? To yeah, Negan? Right, right. Sorry. Just kidding. But there were a it's couple a of times. There were a couple of times where I was like, hmm, I wonder if Eugene is projecting this version of Princess for himself to get through all, the, all of this. I was wrong. I'm, I'm usually wrong, but. Had to be well, no, but we do this also to, to see what they're trying to do. Like narratively, of course, Brandon was real to Negan. He actually really killed him. But but what Brandon represents is that side of him, mm. that past or that the impression that people have of the saviors. The legacy. Yeah. The legacy, right. Mm -hmm. And it's brokenness. This is what's left. Princess being the rational one is very interesting in this scenario, considering who we all regard Princess, or at least mm -hmm. front-loaded knowledge-wise, who she is. If Princess is the rational one, who am I? Right. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, I want to read what's in the chat. If I, if, is that okay if I read what's in the chat? Because I know it's a little bit heavy. So Aiden says, same about dads. My dad has put me through so much shit, but I want him to be okay. I miss him a lot. And when I talk to him, it hurts because I'm like, I wish our relationship was better. I would have loved to have seen her meet the rest of our group. Mm. And then Bridget says, because it's not as though she's here. <laughs> oh, and I feel like it was so much in common, which you just said. Uh, I completely understand. I'm so sorry you have to go through it. And everything you said just right back at you. I cannot wait to meet you at next month. And then he will bring the imaginary lasagna, by the way. I know he mentioned yes. that earlier. No, you won't, because you're not like that. You actually bring it. You bring it. That's what we'll be eating for dinner on Saturday is the invisible lasagna. <laughs> oh, God, that's so sad. <laughs> Yeah, the invisible lasagna is in the TWQ cookbook <laughs> now, the revised edition. <laughs> as long as the alcohol is real, Charity says. So uh, Eugene's yeah. shirt in the beginning, Kansas City world's best bar barbecue, reminiscent of his like, yeah, is it, was it Virginia's for lovers? I think so. That sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. That is the same. And then, <laughs> and then Morgan Jones in Fear the Walking Dead wearing uh, that Texas shirt. He gets a shirt from Grace that says, Don't mess Don't with mess Texas. Don't mess with Texas. And the walker is wearing it in, in dreams in that particular sweet sequence. Mm -hmm. Nice, nice little callbacks. I wanted to also bring up the fact that I think Lance knows 
what he's dealing with when it comes to Moto. The word he used to describe Moto is asshole. You're going to help me figure out what to do with this asshole. So he knows already this guy's a jerk, even though throughout the entire time he treats him with this, the utmost, like a friend. My friend, my friend, my friend. Which says something that Carol's probably acutely aware of. Lance is a schemer. We know this. Why does he show his belly to Carol? Because he wants Carol to trust him. He wants her to trust him. Does he have Carol's best interests in mind when it comes to that? Does Do you think he, he sees himself in Carol? I, I, I don't even know if, if it matters. Is it possible, though? It's possible. I, I, well, I don't... No, I don't think Lance would want to see himself in Carol because of what he's doing. He's trying to move up in ranks. If he sees himself in Carol, then he could assume she might do the same thing to him someday. So, n- no, I don't think he wants to see himself in Carol. I think he wants her to trust him so that she will help him advance. I just can't get a read on this slimy fucker and it's really pissing me <laughs> off. No, that's a that's actually a fair comment because mm-hmm. it's it is really difficult after this episode. It's it's akin to what I thought of when it came to Silas and Jadis because I feel like and this is something that links back to Elijah as well that in spite our best intentions, in spite of what we want, we or what we say we want, sometimes we're all a little bit lonely. And then maybe when you see something in someone, it doesn't occur to you that you may be training your replacement. I'm not saying that that's exactly what he's doing, or maybe he has this intention of like, I see myself in this person. Maybe I want a friend. Maybe I want an advisor. Maybe I want to run something by somebody who has a skill set that I don't have. You know, he says to her, you're smart. But I think he's really what he's saying is you're kind of like me. You're a facilitator. You draw outside the lines to in order to create better artwork, let's say. So... Sometimes we can't help ourselves when we are, because clearly he feels underappreciated. That we can at least say, (laughs) it seems like. And it's quite possible that he's, as a person, genuinely lonely. I can't say the same thing about Carol because she has whom to rely on. And maybe it's not the same way. Maybe Carol does see somewhat of herself in somebody like Lance, but she has a different foundational upbringing she's had a different windy road of an experience so ultimately they're not the same but it's up to carol to decide at some point that maybe the way she is usually that she usually does things may have to change she may have to put that behind her so this could be like an interesting jumping off point for her where he shows her his belly this is like the analogy and and at some point she has to go well this is enticing i could be a facilitator but something's changed i kind of like that so it's what I sort of see in the moment, at least. But I also, we also acknowledge the last episode. Well, he's kind of lonely. He's kind of underappreciated. Uh, you know, he, we're all human. We all want things, despite the fact that we need to survive. And maybe he's getting a little crush on Carol, too, along the way. <laughs> I like that you said I mean, that. Because Carol who, and Lance sitting in a tree. Who wouldn't fall in love and with Rachel hates McBride? Me. Well, he, can, he can crush on her all she wants. Doesn't mean she's going to reciprocate. She's smarter than that. Let's just say Josh Hamilton is not unattractive. I mean, I know that they put hair prefer, coloring. I prefer Josh to Lance. <laughs> still, still, yes, yes. yes. I, I agree. I agree. I, I 100%. He looks well made over. <laughs> like real Josh Hamilton looks just rugged and wild haired and gray, too. Yeah. So, yeah. I'll take him either way. I don't care. I dig it. I dig it. <laughs> So Aiden says, all I can think of is Madagascar 2 when that when the hippo's name is Moto, Moto Moto, and he has the sh- hots for Gloria, and the other hippo in the in the hippo family says, Moto Moto likes you. He likes him big. He likes him chunky. Why did I read that? <laughs> now I'm thinking to think I'm, oh, you're fat shaming, Dave. Hi, everyone. You're says, quoting a movie. It's okay. 
<laughs> Remember when a group got to Alexandria and they quickly all got in positions of power? Rick and Michonne were cops. Sasha was the guard. Abraham took over the construction crew. Maggie became Deanna's assistant. I wonder if the people, if our people, will quickly take over here as well. I think that's the that is Lance's plan. Is that if he can't do it alone? This is going to what I'm saying. If he can't do it alone, hard. he needs to find he needs to find people that are just trying to figure out what this place is about to see how fucked up it is like he does. It's going to be really hard because when we arrived to Alexandria, they didn't already have an army established. They pretty much had no way of protecting the place. And so, you know, Deanna saw right away, like, Alexandria needed our people to defend this place and keep it up. Commonwealth, they don't need us. They don't need our group for anything. But Lance needs them yeah. for whatever can we backtrack a second i had said something in the last episode about like oh well everybody's looking at lance and everybody's looking at pamela milton nobody's looking or stephanie <laughs> nobody's looking at maxine i don't know if i still believe the thing that i said about maxine which was oh she is spinning everybody's wheels she is really running the place i don't know if i feel the same way i want and that's why i want in spite of my frustration at the end of the episode when stephanie a.k.a. Maxine, finally comes to Eugene at his lowest point where he's burning the not only the evidence or his evidence board, he's burning his own book. Like this whole experience has made him so soured to even his own pursuits. Like what of me is real? Or does it even matter anymore? And it does. But he is so burned by this experience that he's burning any reminder of this experience. And then who comes in strolling in at the at the 11th hour or not even 11th, 11th hour. It's, the, it's 1 a.m. Time's up. And then in, and I'm so mad. I'm so mad. I'm so resentful for Eugene. This whole episode was built around, well, not the whole episode, but it was built around the, the idea that you are following Eugene on this sleuth. You know, this is whole hunt for Stephanie. And when it turns out that that very person that he fell in love with kicks him in the belly, knocks the wind out of him, literally, also figuratively, and everything that he loved, or may like, it may have been that everything that he loved was a lie. And he's burning every, every wreck because that's the best thing he can do is like put her out of his mind because he is a survivor. I'm just so resentful for him. I think we all, I don't know, to a certain degree, feel resentful that I, I don't I feel resentful that Maxine like comes Max? in at the final hour. Are you resenting yeah, Max a little bit. right now? Well, yeah, we fuck also, that. well, we also don't, I'm, Motherfucker. I, I'm, I'm Puss not, bucket. <laughs> I'm not mad at her in, right away. Like, I don't feel any resentment towards her right now because there is a ton of information that we don't have. We have yeah. no idea no, what true. her uh, what her level of involvement is with Lance and his little CD group. We don't know the relationship between her and Shira. We don't there's just there's so many things that I don't have answers to that I can't. Right. I almost feel like Maxine is taking a huge risk by approaching Eugene and 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 telling him who she is like I am I'm almost like yeah oh 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 my gosh like she's really stepping out to do the right thing and why I gotta be all rational I, <laughs> I'm so upset <laughs> no but thank you I whatever yeah. I I do feel right. like she is probably taking a big risk by admitting who she is but my bigger question and I think we're gonna have an answer pretty quickly here why would Eugene believe her after what oh, he just now you're fucking back where I am. What, what after what after everything he just went through why the hell would he believe her i mean we know we know it's real but but eugene doesn't why would he go no, we, through this no, again no we don't we don't know it's real like we know it's this her. is the problem we do well we know no, it was her it on doesn't the radio. matter 
Yes. Well, yeah, that matters. We know it was her on the radio. <laughs> it's it, but it sort of matters because this is the, this is the this is my point. I'm so mad about so many things because <laughs> I'm, I'm while I'm I want I want it to be her or to hit her to apologize and and be all the things that that Shira was to him. Let's say there's a part of me that like wants for all this fucking suckiness throughout this episode for him. I want a salve. I want him to be built up again after being broken. So so but you're not question you're not questioning who she is. I'm not. Okay. All right. It sounds like you're but kind of questioning too that late. if she's really her. It's definitely like, where her. were you? Yeah, yeah, but where were you? Well, that's what I'm where saying. Were you? We don't we don't know why she why she waited so long to approach Eugene. There's a reason. I be, I believe that there's a reason she didn't approach Eugene before now. And and again, I I still think she's taking a huge risk even admitting who she is to Eugene at this point. <sighs> yes. And no, and you've got me. You've reached me on this point. <laughs> but what I can't ignore is this whole other side that's not as much emotional as it is I'm I'm nervous. And that's what happens. And this is something we sort of touched on about what it takes to brainwash somebody. You give them something that they, they've always wanted or have been dying for, and then you take it away. But here it is, back again. He's at his lowest point. Maybe at a point maybe at a turning point. Maybe at a point of which he's like, There's nothing I can do about it. It is out of my hands. I'm still grieving. Mm-hmm. But I have to get on with my life. I'm not saying he's like, oh, I'm, I'm getting on with my life. I'm saying he's in that first step of saying, if I'm ever to emotionally survive past this moment, I need to start burning all the reminders of this person so I can live in the world. In walks Maxine Stephanie. Putting my rational brain on for just a second, this is the perfect opportunity for Maxine Stephanie to com- take complete advantage of Eugene. Okay. I, I can't what, ignore I, yeah. I can't ignore that danger. I can't no, ignore I'm, that danger right now. I'm I'm on the same pa- I'm on the same page. I am I'm understanding. So like, you know, I don't that, want that to be also. Right. Like could this could this Stephanie slash Maxine pretty much be doing exactly what Fakeny was doing. But I I'm gonna I'm gonna be bold and say I don't think so. I truly believe in my heart of hearts that Maxine fell in love with Eugene over the radio. I do think she loves and cares for him genuinely. I want to believe that too. And mm-hmm. and I didn't want to interrupt you guys. That's why I typed in the chat. But that's why I was like, <laughs> let me rephrase what I said. Eugene is the only motherfucker in the world to get catfished twice in the apocalypse. If that's what's happening, I like can't handle it on his behalf. Yeah. Yeah. Or possibly twice is what you're saying yeah. because of this. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> <sighs> I, I don't want this to be true, because if that is true, then Maxine is everything I said that she might be. Not everything. Not everything. Me, I was reaching. I was, oh, she's in charge of this whole thing. She's like Lance, except worse, but not a dum-dum. She knows the system for what it is and knows how to game it and knows exactly what to do. Because just because she and Mercer are brother and sister, another factoid we learned, which means he knows her real name, by the way, and it might as well be Maxine. So that's why I'm not quick to say that she's Stephanie. Well, I think well. I, I think at this point, it's pretty safe to say that Maxine is actually Maxine. Maxine? I mean, Mercer would yeah. know his sister's name, I think. That, that was another reason why I yeah. wasn't quick to say that she was Stephanie. Yeah. It's kind of like that Dante misdirect. That's why now, now I'm saying Stephanie is just this, you know, alias that everyone uses when they're on the radio. Maybe everyone on the radio is Stephanie. <laughs> every female is Stephanie and every man is Steve. On, when Jack. On the radio. <laughs> Every man is Jack. Jack. Steven. Every, yeah. Steven. Oh, or Jack. You're right. You're right, yeah. you're right, right. Why couldn't Max just greet Eugene? Why couldn't she just be the one to facilitate this and, and 
befriend Eugene and do everything that Lance wanted her to do, but as herself. That's why I was leaning towards that whole idea that that maybe, you know, she had been in on it the whole time and had fallen in love with him through the process. And then I think she got like taken off of it because she fell in love. So that there's was- like a group of people whose whose job it is to to man the radios. Let's call them like an outreach group. And their job is to find other people, other communities that that they that we that they can go and help so that they so that this community now owes the Commonwealth something. But do they, I mean, do they have to or to facilitate mercantile like a, trade or whatever? Yeah. Couldn't they have have done that without going down like the romantic side of it? Like, couldn't they have just been like, hey, we're we have people like Stephanie and Eugene really had like that romantic connection, I feel like that they could have skipped if they're just trying to gather up all these uh, outer lying communities. Well, you're not thinking of the other side of that coin is that if Eugene figures out that part of this was a play from the real Maxine Stephanie, Mm -hmm. how would they ever have a relationship? I mean, I know this is worse in some senses, but like if there was ever any chance for them to have a real relationship, it had to be somebody else. I mean, that was duping them or was taking control of the situation outside of hands or something like that. Yeah. Here's another question. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? My logic? Yeah. Yeah. I I think so. But I I think in the real world, like if that had happened, but the person told you, like, I was trying to do my job because this is what was asked of me. But then I genuinely fell in love with you. Wouldn't that be forgivable? I feel like that would be forgivable. Well, I don't. You know what? It almost sounds better if she says, I wanted to be the one to do the intel, but I didn't have the heart to face you or to lie to you. That That's where my logic is coming from. Like, I wanted to be the one, but I couldn't I couldn't face you. So something what's, I, or what's maybe the, my position didn't allow. What's the lie, though? Like, what's the what's the lie? Before they meet, when they're just talking over the radio, what's the lie? I guess she was probably, and this makes 100% sense, like, trying to find out as much about him as possible to gain the information that one would need in order to manipulate him. Into what? At What's the end game? Into bringing in his people, and, let's say. But for what? Let's to say. what end? Why do they want more people? They have 80,000, they're 80,000 strong. Why do they need more people? Maybe they need the right people. Like maybe indirect factoids about Rosita, which he had mentioned on the radio, his friend Rosita. Okay. To get like a little bit of personal, to find out who these people are. Because sometimes when you find out who these people are, they turn out to be ferals. <laughs> and But if you find out if they have the same ethics as you, and they are somebody that you can actually have a conversation with, ethically speaking, or civ- civilized way of speaking, because I'm sure they talk to so many other communities, and it's like, yeah, we're hungry out here, we'll eat our own children, you know, that sort of thing. Like, And so when you find somebody that actually has a personality, and they had a life, and they feel things about things, and they have passions, and they have can afford to have passions and not constantly talk about starving or eating food... Like, he didn't divulge that they were starving or anything like that. Right. They, they weren't even there yet. They were in the midst of the Whisper War, let's say. Maybe he didn't talk about that. Maybe the fact that he maintained a semblance of, like, a personal conversation means, oh, these people lived out in the wild and still maintained their humanity. Yeah. Can we say the same thing about Moto and his crew? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, in the end, I don't know if they're residents of the Commonwealth that <sighs> smuggle and then come back either. I'm not 100% certain about that. We have to remind ourselves, this season projected the Reapers and the Ferals and that the conclusion that we have to make and Maggie's stories, which are horrifying, which is to illustrate Alexander is the exception of the exception. And Maxine knows that. Lance knows that. Shira and the Roman Calhoun know, know that. If that's his real name, Beanie Hat Man is his real name. <laughs> they know that that's what the world is. That's what's out there. 
anything else is an exception of an exception if it comes to people like ours who have maintained their humanity throughout all this time, 10 years plus 12, maybe something like that, Charindy. Does that make sense? Because we have to remember that part of the season, <laughs> that that exists and that Alexandria is an outlier. And even Negan has said this on more than one occasion. You guys are lucky. It's bad out there. So yeah, why wouldn't they want people who have made it to bring in that attitude into this one? First of all, to maybe see that it could be different for them. But fuck that. People don't do things out of altruism. People do things out of interest. What is my? What do I have to gain out of bringing these particular types of survivors in? Well, who, how do they change the game? Sharon D has a little theory for you in the chat there. People are a resource. You have to have people to expand. They are going to go to war with the CRM. Commonwealth ruining motherfuckers is what that stands for. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe you're right. Maybe Lance knows something that nobody else knows. And then there's also the whole Primrose thing, too. If the Commonwealth was aware of the CRM and their their existence and what they are, what they do. Or just Lance is what I was saying. Well, okay. I I guess I like that better. That would make more sense. We have to go back to the CRM because they are well known to not be known. Mm -hmm. So how does he know about them? How would he? Unless... (laughs) Unless the the Commonwealth is just another one of their outposts. And but they don't know it. One person knows it. Maybe that's Lance. Maybe another person knows it. Maybe that's Pamela. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Pamela is the modern day version of Gregory. He he deals with the saviors. Sorry, she deals with the saviors. That is the CRM, maybe. And nobody else is the wiser. Maybe they need people like the Commonwealth. Maybe they need... And maybe Primrose is underneath all that and all that shit. Come on. From everything we know about CRM, they would not let a community like the Commonwealth exist. 80,000? They killed a community... They killed... A community of a hundred thousand, of ten thousand. They don't want people thriving and expanding. They, CRM wants to be the last light of the world. But if it's if the Commonwealth is one of actual their actual s- settlements, let's say, then it's not technically another settlement. It's theirs. Whether the fact that they don't know that it's theirs is a whole other story. Oh, so maybe this goes back to the question that was asked about the, <laughs> the heroin. Sorry, the sorry the poppies. Let's be specific with our words. Because you said, well, it's not unimaginable to take some off the top, or maybe a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And maybe all of that, all those poppies aren't necessarily going to the Commonwealth. Maybe they're going to the CRM. It doesn't sound crazy to me that the CRM, okay, just like the perimeter colony, maybe the CRM will, on exception, make deals with people with whom they have a shared interest. And yes, just like you said, if they are 80,000 strong, that is a whole other story. But if they are an actual Civic Republic military settlement, maybe the people don't know about it. Maybe they're just this, again, a Truman Show-like existence where this sham government is in place and nobody's the wiser. In the meanwhile, somebody, let's say, like Lance is producing things for them and shuttling things off. And who knows how they operate? If If they allowed the perimeter colony to exist, why not this colony to exist as long as they can manage it? and control it and the growth and all that stuff. Maybe, but I don't see the CRM allowing the Commonwealth to grow an army if it's not an extension of their own, in which case we would see the Commonwealth soldiers in CRM uniforms. Yeah, but if they if they don't want them to know, if they don't want the people and the army and the to know that it's an actual Commonwealth outpost. I, I could see a world in which like if they don't know they exist, but they're but one person or two people inside know they exist and, and do things for them and and as long as they they can make assurances that the government is is bullshit and everybody's bullshit and they have some sort of flimsy system who's who's to, who's the wiser this is giving me a headache like when we talk about timelines <laughs> yeah this is this is a very thin 
theory. I'm going to say that. I should have said that first. But if, if well, it's true, that's... Well, it started because I wanted to know if, if anyone in the Commonwealth, Lance, Pamela, anybody knew of the existence of the CRM, why would they be announcing anything over radio waves? They should stay the fuck off the radios if they knew the CRM existed. I think we've all seen that the radio doesn't have that wide or that long a range. And maybe they're just doing the radio thing to bring in anybody from the immediate area, let's say. Like, oh, you're out there? Okay, there's a safe place for you. It's like the exact opposite of the CRM. Maybe it's like a, uh, an entire social experiment f- that the CRM will at any at some point try to put down. It's like, okay, we have the data on this project. Let's just kill them all now. <laughs> oh, this can survive, but it can't because we don't want it to. Like, they want to know if it's possible. So they create the Commonwealth. So maybe we've solved the puzzle <laughs> of Pamela Milton's dad. He's really like part of the C- the CRM, <laughs> but he laid the groundwork for this social experiment project to see if something like this could work. This crazy system can work. Mm. I can see that happening. Not ten year. This ten year study of humanity has been that courses run through. Let's kill them all now. And maybe well, maybe we'll take that data and bring it to the last slide of the world. <laughs> like they've tried it. Okay, now shut them down. And let's take those ideas and bring them into our government, let's say. It's, it's just a big-ass science experiment. Nobody cares if it ends all of a sudden, all those 80,000 people die, because clearly they've shown us that that can happen. Mm-hmm. And it's terrifying to wrap your mind around. I don't know. Don't care. Uh, it's Where's Rick? We, we don't know. Yeah, don't care. Where's Rick? <laughs> Give me the Rick movies. I don't care. TW's boring. <laughs> This whole frustrating conversation just stems off the episode being frustrating as well, because I just I still have so many more questions and I have new questions that I didn't even have last episode. And it's just and and and, and they're questions that I don't feel confident that I'm going to get answers to because they're kind of stupid questions, but just things that I want to know. <laughs> well, no, no, no. That's an interesting parallel, what you just illustrated, because Mercer asks this, says the same thing. Why? Do you ask questions knowing that you're not going to get the answers that, yep. first of all, that you're not going to get the answers. Yep. And the second you start getting them is this, the moment you get frustrated. Because <laughs> then I have more right? questions. Yeah. Right. But then just like Carol seeing the game for what it is or the system for what it is, it, maybe you do have the answers. Connie, you know what's going on here, but you, you're, you're refusing to see it. Kelly and Princess see it right away, sort of. I think Princess knows that her dad was a shitbag. I think Princess knows that Stephanie is a shitbag. I don't think she can articulate it, but Kelly, Connie's sister, sees the system for what it is and thinks, Connie, you just want to reveal it because it's a secret. You don't care about the consequences. Princess sees at least that, that there are consequences. I like my little bed. I, I like my little apartment. I was thinking about getting a little cat, little life for myself. And I know that if I keep doing this, that might not be possible. They might kick me out. I'm not a full citizen. I can't hold, own all those guns like Ro- Roman Calhoun, which well, I thought was very fascinating. Well, but you also got to remember, Princess doesn't know yet that Eugene was right. She still thinks Stephanie just broke up with him and disappeared. Like she still thinks she was right. So, right, right. But I think Stephanie had the, was pragmatic enough to know that if you keep going down this path, you have to understand that whatever the reason. A, let's assume that what you're saying is true about the way you felt whatever that reason is do you really want to know that she had to leave knowing that it's not you let's say let's say you know in your heart of hearts that it's not you just like princess's father he had his reasons stephanie had her reasons. sometimes you have to trust those reasons even yeah, though eugene wasn't gonna I, I know, buy I know. that because he thought she was I know. taken you know against her it's, will it's what we want yeah if it's yeah. what we want versus what we know we should preserve like that that survival instinct like okay but mm-hmm. if i 
if I find this out, will I like what I find out? And will it put me in danger? Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm I, I I'm frustrated thinking about it again because who thought this was a good idea? Who actually thought that this would work? I'm sorry, anybody, any of us, would any of oh, us I think it already swallow that? No, I'm saying for Stephanie to just disappear. Who is going to let that go? Who, one single loved one that would just drop it and be like, oh, yep, guess she's gone. No, no one is going to let that go. No one. Which is why I'm not 100% sold on the fact that Lance is orchestrating or or engineering this resistance movement. Maybe engineering, but I think maybe he's capitalizing on the ire of the people and maybe yeah. creating a new enemy. And he's using Eugene's suffering yeah. to engineer like the perfect Dwight character. Yeah. Well, and David, you, right? you had, yeah, you had said earlier something about maybe they did this to Eugene on purpose to to drive him crazy. But in the reaction video. It, it, Oh, is that when it was? It wasn't just earlier tonight? Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. No, hey, no I yeah, was going to yeah. lead up to that, and I did it. Okay. So, um, but going off of that, so, like, if they did do this <laughs> to Eugene to purposely drive him crazy, they would have to know him a little bit more intimately to know that this would be his reaction, too. I mean, if they expected anyone else to just let it go, how did they know Eugene would be the one to not just drop it and let it go? I, I'm, I'm going to say this out loud, and it's going to sound silly. But I think this was like a litmus test. If he lets it go, well, then we don't have the right person that we need. But if he doesn't, and that's fine. Either way, they're fine. They got their intel. Yeah. They got everything they needed to get the Alexandrians okay. in. Okay. But they, but they, they, they rolled in with two plans. They said, but if, if, if he does turn out to be have nervous stress, whatever the diagnosis was, and we got, we got the perfect psychopath on our hands. <laughs> so what's the this conspiracy theorist QAnon person <laughs> that wants to uncover the truth and shoot a pizza parlor? I, that's the thing. Like it's they that see that there is an element within the system that is not satisfied, that it's clear. Lance is seeing the system for what it is. He's seeing the frustration of some people in the Commonwealth and he's he's saying, Oh, I can maybe I can use that. This is why I don't think he he's he's responsible or in to, in touch with this. That his fifth column column is just agnostic of this resistance and that I feel like he seeing that there is an element out there that he can call the boogeyman, something he also referenced also. You think I'm the enemy here? Right. Like, I don't think he is. I think he's really just, he has this goal in mind and he's not necessarily the enemy, but he, I, he he's the hero of his own story. And maybe in some senses, his idea is altruistic. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying that to him, this ignorant Pamela is too dangerous to be in charge. She doesn't know what's going on. But if I were in charge, I would make all these deals out in the open. I would say, this is what we're doing. This is what I'm doing. This is what this is everything that I've been doing. Everything that you have is because of me. You have a hospital because of me. You have pain meds because of me. And he's trying to make it so that it's revealed maybe that. And then, then he brings in a psychopath like Eugene. <laughs> Instead of trying to shoot Pamela Milton, try to shoot Lance. <laughs> well, because he's already gotten rid of Pamela Milton at this point. Let's say in our story. Yeah, that piece. I don't of, know. That piece of paper that Eugene signed is really only good for the Commonwealth residents because our people. If Lance tried to flash that piece of paper to our group, they'd be like, "Yeah, and yeah, Eugene knows how to write his name. What about it? No one in our group is going to believe that he's crazy." Unless Princess is like, well, guys, you know, I spent the day with him and, uh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> also, That also brings to mind another thing. Can a signature from somebody who is experiencing distress be relied upon? That's a whole other ball of wax legally. Well, that, I mean, like, that's the whole point a of... Pers a crazy person doesn't know they're crazy. 
Yeah. Doesn't that null? Doesn't that it creates it makes it null and void? Oh, if you're signing if you're signing a waiver saying I'm crazy, can we trust that you don't that understand? You, that, yeah. Well, that you do understand. Can we trust that you do paradox. understand this this piece of paper? Yeah. Yeah, but huh. it must be crafted in such a way that. Yeah. You know, okay, I, I admit that I was, ex- and I don't anymore. I, I'm not feeling that way anymore. That's when you sign it. There you go. You've already come a, out a of temporary the, loss. Yeah, you've already come out of the crazy mindset. And you're like, all right, <laughs> here's why I acted that way. I'm of sound mind now. But then. Right. Mm. <laughs> well, let's go back to what I said before, though. Can you see that if he doesn't accept Maxine's Let's say she, Maxine has an overture. She did say Taterbug and Blue Evil, etc., etc. I clearly she's trying to reach him in some way. Didn't you? I don't think, care which way. Didn't you think her? I voice, did. I did. I was. The voice would have like. I. I. I really. When she started talking, I. I thought her, hearing her voice, especially not seeing her. Right. Like it's just the voice. I thought Eugene would have had this like <gasps> moment, but he but was then, just like, so. <sighs> I was having that moment. I was getting emotional. <laughs> But then, but then immediately, because I'm feeling right. the way Eugene feels, immediately, how do I know that I can trust this? He had not heard Max's voice up until this moment. He was super upset at the moment, so it may not have, have hit him yet. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, but once, because once you get back to reality, you have to allow, or you have to grant the fact that this happened to him. Mm-hmm. And how could you let this happen to me? And how are you involved in this? How do they know all the things that I talked to you about? How did you let this happen to me? I thought you loved me. Mm-hmm. Or I, I don't know. It seemed like that. Well, <laughs> it's on the radio. Yeah, in the in the sneak for next week, I think we're gonna see that conversation go down. I just don't see a world in which someone that traumatized can ever trust someone like her, or trust his senses, or trust what he thought he knew. Well, I I, I can't see it. I hope I hope that Max is able to give us some answers to all the questions that we have here. Like why? Yeah, why? Why didn't she meet him? Why is Lance orchestrating all of this stuff? Like, why did it take you so long to approach me? What is going on? Are you, are you with them? Are you not with them? Like what? ah. Or or just the plain old question of like, why, why, why did you allow this to happen to me? Mm -hmm. I put my heart and life and the lives of my people in your hand, but forget about that. (laughs) I put my heart in your uh, heartstrings in your hands. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, you played me like a fiddle. Remember at the beginning, at the beginning of this, when you were like, "Did you feel frustrated during this episode?" And I was <laughs> like, "No, I have no feelings." Well, like now that we've gone through this and and like analyzed every piece, I'm like, you know what? You are, <laughs> I am frustrated. You know, I'm pissed. We're talking about this. <laughs> I'm pissed off. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk to your manager, <laughs> Angela Kang. Stop taking our jobs, <laughs> Angela Kang. Stop it. You're inside the episode nonsense. <laughs> she call it squawk inside the squawk zone. Give us our due. I'm like Lance. I want the recognition, <laughs> bitch. <laughs> We laid the groundwork for you. He's literally, she wrote, she helped write this episode. Okay. <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> you know all the things, Angela Kang. I don't have to say them, but leave a little room for people, for the little people like us. <laughs> Listen, don't take me seriously, people. We all know that Angela Kang is the, the long lost child of me and Carol. Okay, oh. Carol. Yeah. OG Squawk and D Carol G. We know that. Okay. So I have no ill will towards my seed. <laughs> just, meanwhile, like we're the same age, probably. <laughs> okay. I know. Yikes. <laughs>
Guys, how does that work? Time travel. So, this is so stupid. But when Mercer gets up in that truck, they cut mm. that scene. Do you know why they cut at that time? Because there is no way he's sitting in a car on that butt plate. It is ridiculous. <laughs> and, and I can't stand it. I mean, I love it because it's like, it's perfect. But also, so I'm cute. like, yeah. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Your little your little tush cover and like so he right you take <laughs> you take one hard right turn sharp right turn and he's just out of the car so he gets <laughs> like he slip, gets up like as though he's about to sit down and then the scene cuts <laughs> over to a different shot because it's gonna look ridiculous it's just gonna look For, ridiculous. butt plate aside to be in an automobile with all that kit like the entire kit like you'd have to put the seat all the way back at first before you put it forward again it's like getting in with a suit of armor into a car. I want to see it now. Let's <laughs> see what that looks like. I just want that car. That car I, was right? sexy. That was kind of cool. Yeah. And okay, 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 okay. When he turned it on, he was just kind of like looking at everybody like, and then he just pressed a button or something and it turned on. That was like fucking Knight Rider shit right there. <laughs> He's like, For those of you born after... <laughs> Knight Rider was a man... With a talking car. Don't worry. Solving Dave, crimes. They'll remake it. From the Knight Foundation. They'll remake it. I can't believe, and it'll be I can't on believe like it hasn't NBC. already. Yeah. I can't believe it hasn't already Coming this been summer redone. on NBC. <laughs> Knight Rider. Again. Because they rebooted Knight Rider like twice, I think. <laughs> like Knight Rider 2000. With a group of Knight Riders. Oh, gosh. And, and, and Michael Knight was nowhere to be found. No, he was drunk eating hamburgers on the floor. Oh, and his daughter filmed him. <laughs> And that was, and then he was just in schlocky movies thereafter. I don't feel sorry for him. He has a successful career in Germany. So Hasselhoff. Hasselhoff. Yes, don't okay. Need I remind you? Hands. That man, don't hassle the Hoff. That man danced down the Berlin Wall. Yeah. In a light up leather jacket. He danced his ass off as the Berlin Wall came down. He's single-handedly responsible. Yeah. They say it was Reagan, but it was... It was David Hasselhoff. Can't even... It's David motherfucking don't hassle the Hoff, okay? He ended communism everywhere. You heard it here first, folks. a single wave of his magic jacket. (laughs) Magic jacket? (laughs) Sure, it's magic. Okay. Sure. Okay, there's one more point I wanted to bring up, and there's something I actually suspected in the last episode or the last two episodes. Deflation. Did anybody catch the price on the Commonwealth Tribune? No. Price of that newspaper? No. Nope. Ten cents. Ten cents. Not a quarter. Not a dollar fifty. <laughs> Ten cents. For issue, five twenty-three. I don't know what the significance of that number is, but I thought it was, was kind of cool. And if it's a Five weekly, and, okay, well, if you let's add do it this. Together, this is what we it do. It becomes ten. So if you decode it, it's ten, and, <laughs> and ten is what does that number mean? Ten is one and zero. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking something more practical. Like let's say this is a weekly magazine. Let's add the add fifty, divide it by fifty-two. So if we do calc, five twenty-three. Sure, and he already beat you to it. Divided by fifty-two, it's uh, ten years. Mm-hmm. Ten years and a half is a half a month, right? No, no, it's, it's that's a base ten with a base twelve, and then you have to do a half. Well, it's not a half. What about it's leap years, half, David? It's, it's ten kidding. years. I'm kidding. Oh <laughs> shit! I think it's baked in. I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> yeah. Interesting though, Sharony, huh? Ten years. So they've been doing. Well, the Commonwealth ha- might not have been in existence for, for all the years. In the, 
the apocalypse. What is? She's making fun of you. You needed a calculator to divide calculator by for time. base ten. <laughs> no, for base for base ten. Oh yeah. Uh oh yeah, and it was five twenty three. You're right. You're right. You're right, dog. You're right. Anyway, I'm stupid. I used to be really good at math. <laughs> Interesting factoid though. If it is a weekly paper, that kind of jives with what we're talking about. Extra, extra. Hey. Read all about hey. it. Dave can't divide by ten. There you go, Sharon D. Hey, hey, everybody. <laughs> Why is turn against me? <laughs> with that, everybody. With insulting me. <laughs> wow, that hung in the air a little too long. <laughs> I was kidding. I was, ki- I was kidding. <laughs> and with that, everybody, thank you for joining us on another Squawking Dead episode. If you like what you heard, head over to ratethispodcast.com slash squawkingdead. Give us five stars and eggplant. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you didn't like. But tell us after every episode. And if you want to show up to these recordings in the real-time chat to make fun of me, because I can't do math. <laughs> or if you want to get the unedited episode recordings, head over to ko-fi.com slash squawkingdead and just follow us. When you have an episode that you want to add your thoughts to, you can either buy us a coffee and get access to 30 days of our supported back content, including the ability to join us in these recordings, as well as receiving the unedited episode recordings if you can't, or you could join a membership tier for as little as a dollar a month and get access to that and much more like our Discord and our ringtone and our <laughs> wallpapers, as well as a whole host of other little tiny perks along the way. It's the foundational perk is a dollar a month. The other two perks are merely just a, a couple of extra other things albeit very big things like Bridget's perk, which is the survivors here, which is the ability to join us on camera and Mike to break down episodes along with us. But other than that, she has access to everything else, just like you would as a walker in the walkers tier. In any case, I've been your host, David Cameo, who's joined by Cosmo09, Rachel Burt, Sharon D, aka Blazy Gardner, as well as survivors tier members, Bridget, ex-prophecy girl on Twitter, jasmine.iec on Instagram, Aliza Jones 71 on Instagram. There's a lot of people at this stream until they all went away. They all leave me in the end. Take care, everybody. We'll see you in the next one. Bye. 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 Brother, we'll see you at 7 in the p.m. <laughs> in 1900 in the a.m. That doesn't exist. <laughs> I don't know time either. Oh <laughs> I don't know anything. Why do, why do you guys trust me <laughs> as a ringleader? Thank you for making it to the end of this stupendous six-person episode at one point, the earliest point. I'm so glad you made it to the end. I've been loving these episode breakdowns with our supporters. Among them, the people who made it possible are Survivors Tier members. And you could be a Survivors Tier member too. We have three new slots available. They are at Jones 71 on Instagram, who was with us at jasmine.iac on Instagram, who is also with us, as well as xprophecygirl on Twitter. Uh, That's Bridget. Uh, And let's not forget Linda, fanartlindy. That's ko-fi.com slash fanartlindy, who hasn't been on with us, but if you listen to the unedited episode recording of this podcast we gave her a little shout out we said come on the come on the show already you paid for it we can't wait to have you and listen to your insights and you can laugh at us and hey last but not least definitely not least because this guy's a maniac at real ryan gm on twitter these survivor tiers member sorry survivor tier members 
are the highest tier in our support about content, which you can just follow us on ko-fi.com squawking dead so that you know when you want to jump in on a particular episode recording to uh, lend us your thoughts in the real-time chat when we record it is an ex- a, a perk exclusive you don't have to jump in to the survivors tier at all that is the ability to join us in these episode breakdowns but you can join the walkers tier for as little as a dollar a month it gives you access to our discord it gives you access to our recording sessions so that you can join us in the chat um, and lend us your thoughts as well as stream the unedited episode which you can get way earlier than the finished product usually at least a week before before the podcast gets released publicly uh it it will contain pre-show post-show and all the edits we have in between usually lots of laughter lots of gas lots of technical difficulties but also the last two episodes have been filled with extended insights into things that we spoke about in the finished product that we just couldn't include for one reason or another be it uh we will wax personal on a certain thing that isn't quite as relevant or we spin off into tangents talking about other arenas and it just doesn't quite fit but hey the if you want it you got it you can get it for as little as a dollar and by the way the whispers tier the mid-level tier isn't isn't too shabby either uh both the whispers and the survivors tier members get 50 percent off the merch store as well as uh both the whispers and the survivors do get to be on camera and mic for our jackbox games charity live stream but speaking of our whisper members they also receive shout outs at the end of these podcasts them being uh at judith.morton on instagram at aiden the raven on twitter at tyler philip cox on instagram and twitter and be sure to check out his youtube channel let's taco about the dead as well as at Rita's fan 2 on instagram and twitter at frosted angel 67 on twitter and of course we've got sandy dot morrison wait sandy dot d dot morrison on facebook none of this would be possible without you it's not about the money really it is really a signal that we are on the right track you want to be a part of the process you like what we're doing you want to be involved you want to be more involved in how this podcast is shaped out we take so much feedback from you guys we and it really really improves the product it we are just the captains you tell us what to do and then we do it sometimes we have some good ideas that we need your feedback on and we can get it either from our page or from our discord all tier members get access to our discord even the walker tier the walkers tier which is just a dollar a month again we will be at fandemic we will be there to give you some stickers some free stickers as well as you supporters we will be giving you guys some tier member badges we only have 10 of each so please be sure to see us we will be making more for the camp in on memorial day uh in sonoy but uh we're hoping to see you soon we have tons and tons of projects to to do uh, among them uh are going to be interviewing cast while we're at fandemic interviewing creators for our twd family branches segment as well as talking to you telling you telling us what the walking dead means to you how it's impacted your life uh and also we'll be filming some panels too you know so meet us at our table talk to us you know say hi (laughs) we're human we want to talk to you it's all about you so with that everybody i've been your host david cameo i was joined by cosmom zero and i rachel bird sharon d aka blazy gardener 
survivors to your members, Jasmine, Bridget, and Aliza. Take care, everybody. We'll see you in the next one. Pew, 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 pew.